Episode 224 of the Throwdown Thursday Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and we are here from deep within the spoopy bowels of Magenta Manor in the Pat Cave. Ooh. Uh, ooh. I'm, I'm so startled. I'm, I'm so startled. Did you hear that? So like, like a... a, a do. Do. <laughs> we are, of course, brought to you on the Dorkening Network by Deadly Grounds Coffee. And as you can tell, I am not alone today. I am with my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is <gasps> the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it is... <gasps> Ashtoberfest fun nightmare. Happy Ashtober, everyone. Yeah, so we have decided, or rather I have decided, that uh, Ashtober is uh, what October is because it's your birthday month. Uh, and then there's Ashtoberfest, which is your birthday, and Ashtober Prime, which is Halloween. Yes. Yes. So just to be, just to be clear, though, Ashtober... And Ashtoberfest have been defined events for for decades. Yeah, at least two. <laughs> I think it was something that I started when I was. I've always been like a super one of those like crazy, so obnoxious. Oh my like god! Give me brunch. I love brunch. Oh my god! Are we having brunch? <sighs> Is that my present? No. Um, no, but I've always been one of those like super excited about my birthday type of people where I'm like, it's my birth month. And like, it just so happens that my birth month also includes my favorite holiday. So Columbus you know, Day. growing up, yes, I love Columbus Day so much. Like, I just love celebrating colonizers so much. Like, it's it's fantastic. Um but no, uh, so it was really cool growing up, you know, having my birthday two weeks before Halloween, being able to have a lot of costume parties and stuff for my birthday. Well, I mean, you can always combine the two of them. You know, you have, you know, birth, birthoween. Birthoween. Halmas. That doesn't, uh. Hallow, no, because that would be Christmas and Halloween. Health day. <laughs> yeah, no. No, that's not going to work. Hollow Earth Day. But yeah, but I feel like Ooh, I've Hollow gotten... Earth Day. Hollow that, Earth Day, yeah. That's where Godzilla lives in the Hollow Earth. But I feel like I've gotten slightly more obnoxious with it as an adult. Yes, slightly. Yes. Just slightly, just a little bit. Oh, it's the worst. What do you mean? No, it's not <laughs> the worst. It's the best. It is the best, okay? I am a goddamn queen, and I deserve to be worshipped. God damn it. Worshipped? Like worshipped. People come at you with, like, battleships and stuff? <laughs> and armada? Said. I said worshipped. Yeah, worshipped. Not worshipped. Worshipped. Don't make fun of it. It is, it is my birthday. Don't make fun it of me. It is not your birthday. It's my birthday. T- Don't. Other- when does this come out? Let me look at the calendar. This comes out on the 8th. We have another week and a half. So It's my birthday. Don't make fun yeah, of me. It's not. It's your it's birth my month. birthday. So birthday. Uh, we are going this month. We are talking about some of our favorite spooky films. And uh, we're going to be uh, doing some pretty awesome characters that we mentioned last week. 
But this week we are discussing uh, Paranorman because uh, we're going to have some Paranorman activity. Paranorman activity! Which will obviously be the title of the episode. Um, but we... Oh, spoiler alert. Oh, we s- I say that during <laughs> every episode when we come up with a good, like, zinger. Uh, so, Ashes, you, you came up with a good uh, getting into character question for this week. I based did. on uh, what we're covering. Yeah, so we want to know what are your favorite animated spooky films and there's a lot of them there really are um and it's not just like the ones you think of off the top of your head and it's funny like i remember seeing paranorman in the theater and i was like oh what is this like 2016 or so nope 2012 eight fucking years ago we saw this movie i didn't realize it had been that long and that was the last time we had watched it before uh this past sunday um i forgot how good it was but I still think it's uh, lower on my my rankings of spooky movies. Now, we're talking spooky, scary, uh, animated stuff, but are we specifically relating it to Halloween themes, or are we just talking spooky, scary stuff? I mean, we're just talking spooky, scary. Because for me, I think my number one all time has got to be The Secret of Nim. Um, Dragon the Cat, uh, The Great Owl... The giant spider that almost eats Mrs. Brisby, although in the book she's named Mrs. Frisbee, but they changed it because for obvious reasons. Uh, Yeah, the giant spider that's about to get her, and then fucking what's his name? The great owl steps on it and crushes it. And oh yeah, like the the sword fight with uh, uh oh I'm fucking up his name. Oh, it's not Radigan. Radigan's from The Great Mouse Detective. I love that movie. Uh, that's another one that's creepy as hell, but oh, I'm trying to remember his name, like the main bad guy. And it's totally escaping. I know, like, Nicodemus, like the weird old Gandalf-looking motherfucker, and then there's uh, Justin. Like, everybody's got these weird-ass names, and it's like, oh, Justin. Uh, Brutus, the uh, guard schmouse. Like, that dude was creepy as hell. Like, he never even spoke. They're like, oh, somebody tried to kill me. Oh, that was just Brutus. Was, you know, just ignore him. He has a giant axe and tried to murder you. Um, yeah, terrifying film. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's the first movie I can remember seeing uh, outside of my home. And I think I might have been three. So that would have made it 1984. And... Uh, my mom took me to see it free in the children's section of the Worcester Public Library. So that's that's definitely one of them. How about you? What do you got? So one of the earlier ones I can remember, it was kind of like a two-part thing. So it's called The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Ah, uh, yes. And half of it was the Mr. Toad story. And the other half was The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And... It was quite ter- like the the graphics and everything, the hand drawn er- animation that they were able to create, just really eerie depictions of some of these creatures. Um, I fell in love with it. I thought it was fantastic. I haven't watched it in years, decades at this point, but that is one that stuck out in my mind. And we used to watch it in class a lot because obviously mm. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is, uh, it's a book. So we used to watch it for like English classes Washington and stuff. Irving, yeah. I believe, wrote that. He did. 
So yeah, that's the one. And if you think about it, like that story is so terrifying. This headless horseman with a pumpkin, a lit up jack-o'-lantern. Oh, and then the uh, motionless and white song. That's well, all about I mean, it. that's just fantastic. Yes. Um, I think another one for me, um, more recently, uh, I would have to say is um, Coraline. Coraline's mm-hmm. one of the more terrifying ones. I love Coraline so much. I think it's so well done. And, I mean, the voice acting, the the talent that's involved with it, but... The stop animation always has a special place. Stop motion. In, yeah, stop motion animation uh, always has a special place in my heart because mm-hmm. I just think it's so fantastic looking. And all of the time and effort that goes into a single frame, a single moment. You oh, know, it's so it's, difficult. It's so impressive. 24 frames a second. You know, and and the art that's behind that that's behind it is just it's mind blowing to think about all of the the time and the effort and the attention to detail that is put into the stop stop motion. I keep saying stop animation, but um, these stop motion films, claymation yeah. to say the least. I mean, I I look at stop motion. I think that's more impressive than regular hand drawn animation because with the hand drawn animation, you can just kind of go back and reference the last uh, frame that you drew, and you, know, you can kind of overlay everything on top of each on top of each other with something like you know Coraline, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, the original King Kong from 1933, I think that's a lot more difficult because you don't have those frames as reference, um, you know, physically in front of you that you can just look at. It's like, oh, shit, was he breathing in or out? However, I will say it does lend itself to uh, really helping your uh, characters perambulate in a very creepy way, like the uh, other mother... Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the creatures from uh, Nightmare, um, even the California Raisins, you know, the the Will Vinton Christmas special. Hey, man, call me a cab. You're a cab. You're a cab. Yeah, like, yeah, it gives you that option. So especially if you have, like, weird, creepy things, you know, like Ray Harryhausen stuff from, like, Jason and the Argonauts. Harryhausen. Like, any of the stuff that he did, even um, an instance of stop motion that people don't realize is an instant of stop motion. Um, the end of the original Terminator, when the Terminator is on screen, that's uh, achieved through stop motion. Oh, really? Yeah. He's uh, like, they built a full size Terminator, but when he's walking or moving, like you, if you look at it, it's kind of weird looking and it doesn't match like when you just see the arm or the head or the torso moving around that's because it's a stop motion model oh wow yeah i didn't know that yeah uh, most people most people don't think about it but like the next time you go back and watch the terminator when you see him walking around you'll be like oh shit yeah like that's you can definitely see it because it's got that unnatural uh mobility as it's walking around what else do you got? So I have quite a few, actually. 
So well, we don't want to run through every every single one because we want the folks at home to give us some too. Okay, but I still have some. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I'm throwing it back over to you. So obviously there's Paranorman, which mm-hmm. we are talking about today. I love it. I think it's adorable. I, I think it, you know, really hits home for some of the weird kids out there. And that's all I'm going to say about that because we'll discuss it more yes. in detail in a moment. Also, Frankenweenie. Frankenweenie is high quality. You know, it's a it's another stop motion Tim Burton film, and I love it. I think it's adorable, and it's spooky, and it's cute, and it's about a puppy, and I just really like it. Uh, and two that aren't technically related to Halloween, but do kind of have like that spooky vibe about them, is Coco. Mm. Which is the Pixar film that came out a couple of years ago? Oh, I mean that's um, you know, no. Well, it's it's Day of the Dead related. Yeah, and that is fantastic. I love the music, the colors, the and animation. And when we have a house, we're going to have an ofrenda. I want an ofrenda so bad. Uh, I love the Day of the Dead. I think it's such a beautiful holiday, and I wish that I wish that Americans had different funeral customs. Like, we deal with death in this somber and almost, like, unspoken way where other countries really celebrate it. It's almost like a they treat it as a passing. Like, you, you've gone to the next level, and it's a celebration of life versus, you know, the pretty much, you know, capitalistic market that America has turned it into. Yeah, there's no reason that you know, a funerary uh, uh, ritual should cost, you know, more than your well, car. And not only that, you know, we're told to mourn the dead, which is fine. You know, you, you absolutely should. But we're told that, you know, there there are, I'm trying not to gross people out too much. There are certain customs that we could participate in, certain uh, rituals that we could technically participate in that we don't because we don't realize it's an option. Yeah, like there are some things that like uh, I know back, you know, towards the turn of the century when photography was a big thing and, you know, was first starting out, um, folks would pose their recently deceased relatives in pictures because it was super expensive. And so like you'd have it's like, oh, you know, here's uh, mom and dad and like the three kids and grandma, grandpa who passed away, you know, a week and a year ago. Like, there are certain customs in other countries where they will exhume their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I am not a huge fan of. Like, I mean, to each their own. That's that's something that, you know, it's... Um, you have to be safe about it, obviously. Yeah, it's definitely dangerous uh, for that. It's something that they obviously go through certain processes to preserve their loved ones to be in a state where they can be exhumed on a yearly basis but but the idea behind it is quite beautiful right you know to honor their loved ones to bring you know and they they place food in front of them if their loved one was a drinker or a smoker they'll offer them cigarettes or you know their favorite liqueur or you know dress them up in their favorite outfits and you know take pictures with them like they're still a member of the family because they are you know and it's a way for people to be remembered i think that's beautiful i think that um people are soon often forgotten 
And I think any culture that strives to remember and memorialize their ancestors and their loved ones is just absolutely beautiful. Right. It's all about, you know, remembering where you came from and how you got to be where you are and, you know, honoring those who came before you. And, and I mean, I'm 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 all for that, but I will go the ofrenda route with pictures of them as they were as opposed to a desiccated uh version of them now like i don't want to remember my loved ones partially decayed right and that's and that's perfectly fine but i feel like we're kind of veering off topic i am very interested in mortuary and different customs and stuff so if anybody ever wants to chat about funerals and funeral rites and uh, a plethora of other dead stuff let me know <laughs> let's talk but another film that touches base that yeah on on the day of the dead that i adore is the book of life mm -hmm. which does a really good job of explaining exactly what dia de los muertos is and why it's celebrated right and it's it's nice to see you know different cultures being celebrated and like seeing the the funerary you know uh preparations that are made and you know the follow up afterwards like how how things are done in different cultures you know and you know it's again it's not right or wrong it's different you know it's different you know based on how you were raised like right and and again like there's nothing wrong with the way that americans choose to honor their dead you know by hosting funerals and wakes and what have you i just wish people realized that, that there were other options out there and funeral homes i mean they're businesses so they're looking to make money mm -hmm. so they're not going to sit there and tell you like hey you have other options you know they're going to want to get you to buy the most expensive things and have the most extravagant you know funeral memorial service what have you for your loved one because at the end of the day they're a business just uh, you know, honestly you know it's like it reminds me of the thing on the simpsons when they were looking at how much it was going to cost for uh you know grandpa to be buried and they they had the uh the cadaver cam inside the the <laughs> casket and and Homer's like, does it get picture in picture? And he's like, of course. And like, so you have a basketball game on while you see the the, the person inside the coffin. And he's like, oh, it's going to cost $22,000. And he's like, well, it's either that or just throw him in the woods and let the wolves get him. It's really up to you. And Homer's like, Mr. Salesman, we're going to go with the wolves. And like, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel. Like, I have no issue, uh, you know, going to a body farm. Uh, because if it's going to help uh, science, like, I'm fine with that, and then get cremated afterwards. You know, if we're able to learn things. If you're not familiar with body farms, uh, I think they're a great, great idea. There used to be a documentary on Netflix about the, uh, the biggest body farm in North America. I forget mm -hmm. which state it's in, but it's uh, part of a university study. And it's quite interesting. I forget the name of it. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. But I think it's a, a two-part 
like it's not a docu-series but i think it's a two-part documentary but it's quite fascinating and obviously it's it's graphic because you know they're they're showing you things but it's quite i mean obviously scientific uh, but it's quite uh, interesting to see the different rates of decay and how people decay. And yeah, in different environments um, and whatnot. Right, like we'll right. Like, you, you know, know, this body will be in the woods exposed. This body will be in water. Know, different times of the year affects yep. it as well, you know, and, and the different... Uh, there's so many factors, you know, personal factors. It depends on the person too, mm-hmm. you know, as to how how quickly they and they monitor like the different like when the bugs come, like yes. so they know how long this body. Okay, this body's been here for a week because it's got X type of bugs or it's got this type of. Deca- it's fascinating, and you if know. you're able to, you know, do that and help, like solve an unsolved crime. You know. I mean, there's that. There's also you can give your body to science, especially if you have certain ailments. I'm going to donate my body to science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to turn you into a puppet. Don't, don't. Oh, just as long. I was going to say, as long I like, I don't care what happens afterwards. Like, just cremate me. Just don't perform a disrespectful marionette show with my corpse. God damn it. If it's a respectful like marionette show. Oh, a show. respectful marionette. A respectful marionette, marionette okay. show. Like, you know, now, do, what do. constitutes a respectful marionette show versus a disrespectful marionette show? Like, if you bring me back for, like, one more episode of the podcast, like, a live show, and, like, you know, you, like, you use the Jim Henson creature shop, or, like... By, like, Weekend at Bernie's you? Like, industrial lights and magic, like, fill me <laughs> with, like, you know, circuitry and stuff, and it's, like, the Hall of Presidents. I was born in a log cabin. You know, like... You know, that type of thing. Like, I'm okay with that. Did you say fill you with circus peanuts? Circuitry. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> I was like, why would you want to be filled with circus peanuts? I'd be very flammable. Actually, in uh, high school... Is that is that what a disrespectful marionette show consists of? No, no, a disrespectful marionette show would just be like forcing me to dance around and like caper for your amusement. Caper for the amusement of the small folk. Um I will say that when I was in uh, high school, we had to come up with, uh, for my law class, we had to make wills, and one of the wills that, uh, the will that I came up with was that I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be, I wanted my coffin to to be made of Legos because that would be cheap. And I wanted to be fired from the uh, space shuttle into the sun. So clearly you didn't take into consideration the fact that... uh, Legos have inflated immensely in price. Well, this is 1999, so... I mean, maybe... I mean, we could probably do it with Duplo blocks. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, put me in a wooden coffin and shoot me into space. Like, I'm fine with that, too. Like, I'll just drift for eternity until some alien race comes by and clones me. Like, I'm fine with that, too. I am not fine with that. I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm just saying, like, that's... Nobody needs clones of Patrick. One oh, of you is enough. You no, know, it's not. You say that now, but, you know. So I think uh, one of the last things, because we didn't, we kind of sort of mentioned it, but I'm going to go with uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I was going to say, that's kind of like the peace day resistance of, of spooky and animation. I, I saw an amazing meme the other day, and it was super cool. It was, uh, speaking of funerals and stuff, it was the Grinch and his dog, and it showed them in one panel, they were dead, and the next panel, they slowly decayed, and by the last panel, 
they were Jack and Zero. Oh, that's kind of cute. Which is why he's so obsessed with Christmas. What's this? What's this? What's this? What's this? What's this? Well, and what I love about that film is it's perfect to watch, you know, multiple times throughout the year. Yeah. Yeah, it was spooky season, Christmas season. Anytime. The Ides of March, you know. Yeah, March, middle of March, yeah. It's perfect. March Madness, Ides of March. But I mean, that's one I remember watching for the first time. And we didn't see it in the theater. We didn't go to the theater often as I kids. Um, I definitely, well, once upon a time, I used to go more frequently as an adult. But I remember my dad rented it. Mm-hmm. And my parents were like, oh, that was all right. And I'm like, what did I just watch? This is amazing. Yeah. It's, what it's... is this? What is this? It was, yeah. I was very excited about it. And there are so many great characters. Like even, you know, yeah, I was going to say, like even side characters, you know, characters that are involved in just a, a, a moment, but it's a memorable moment. Like the guy with the axe in his head who says, bunny. Yeah. When they bring uh, the Easter bunny instead of uh, Sandy Claus. Oh, it's so great. And the, the another great Catherine O'Hara performance. Yep. Yeah. Sally and Chris Sarandon. And she was um shock lock not barrel she was one of those i'll have to take a quick look and we'll we'll we'll, we'll come back i think to she's it shock in um lock shock and barrel a little witch girl she kidnaps the sandy claws she does the things well everybody kidnaps the sandy claws cuz everybody's a a big old jerk and i like the fact that um um, what's his name? Danny Elfman is the singing part. Mm. Like that's really cool. Uh, like Greg Proops from uh, whose line is it anyway? Yeah, he's in it. Like there's some and great Paul Rubin. Mm-hmm. Rubens. Rubens, excuse me. Pee Wee Herman is in it. You're exposed to him early. <laughs> See what I did there. Uh. Mm-hmm. Shock. She is shock. Okay, yes. so I was right. Glenn Shaddix, again working with Tim Burton and I saw and Catherine a O'Hara. clip from a couple years ago. They did. I think it was like an anniversary of the film. They did. Uh, I think it was in L.A. at the Hollywood Bowl, or in Hollywood where the Hollywood Bowl is. You know, where someplace out in California. Fancy um, place. They did a live. Like musical, yeah. She did Sally song of of the, you know the the music of the Nightmare Before Christmas, and obviously Danny Elfman was there to do the conducting, but he also was there to perform. And I saw a clip of so it was Catherine O'Hara and Danny Elfman and Paul Rubens uh, doing Kidnap the Santa Claus, and it was just so delightful. Like even you know, not. I mean, obviously the characters were animated, but like they, they, you know, were kind of in character. They dressed a little bit like the character, like Catherine O'Hara had a little witch hat on and it was just really freaking cute. But like they were so animated and so in character and it was fantastic. <laughs> they were animated. They were animated. Um, 
but yeah it was just so awesome i'm like wow that would have that must have been like amazing to see live oh yeah kind of like you know how we got to see uh game of thrones live Mm -hmm. a couple of times when they 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 toured and stuff but this wasn't like a touring thing this was just a a one night only special edition yeah thing yeah but still like that must have been so cool well so we want to know from uh you folks at home who are some of your favorite uh, animated people and your favorite animated uh, spooky films? Spooky films. Um, I mean, we didn't. You could you could even go with some of the comic book stuff, like some of the Justice League Dark stuff. Like that's really good. Uh, there's a ton of different things, and I'm sure there's stuff that we didn't even bring up. Uh, there's one that I know uh, somebody's gonna bring up, but I I haven't seen it. I've only seen little uh, clips of it here and there, like Watership Down. Uh, I've never even heard of that. Oh, it's about bunnies. Oh, bunnies? Oh. No, no bunnies? No, you. Oh. oh. Yeah, so uh, that might be one we have to watch. No. So we can we can watch it about bunnies. I don't I don't want to watch it if it's sad about bunnies. It's crazy. I don't want to be sad about bunnies. Oh. But yeah, so there's It's my uh, birthday. I don't want to be sad about bunnies. It's uh I think it's one that we have to watch. But yeah, so let us know. And we didn't even touch on the Simpsons Halloween stuff because Well, I mean, we were talking movies. about animated films. Yeah. Because obviously Treehouse of Horror is is And we've like done shows on Treehouse of Horror. Echelon. Yeah, we did last year. Mhm. It's the upper echelon of, like, Halloween-themed... Animation. Animation episodes. Yeah. Because, I mean, even Bob's Burgers does a really good job with their Halloween episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not as well put together... Or just say not well put together, but it's not in the same no, like realm they do, as Treehouse of Horror. They just take a normal Bob's Burgers episode and place it at halloween so you have all the same humor and stuff right, but they're they not do, parodying right movies and stuff. right but they you know the kids are always in costumes and the costumes are always amazing jeans right. costumes yeah queen Ooh. latifah in her unity <laughs> phase Ooh, scorpion jacket guy oh, i'm the badass from drive <laughs> and then one time louise was anton sugar yes Oh, that's amazing. Gene yeah. was Gene was Turner and Hooch. Yes. Then uh Tina was, was a mommy mummy. Andre the Giant three thousand. Andre three thousand three thousand the giant, yes. <laughs> he always has great costumes. But uh yeah, so let us know what some of yours are and uh we wanna hear from you. And uh yeah, so we'll be right back, and uh, we're going to be talking about Paranorman. Say Anda one more time. And uh, and uh, we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks, too and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary.
Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkning Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Meet Norman. Can't you be like other kids your age? His parents don't get him. He's probably up there fiddling with his Ouija or his orb. Harry. His sister doesn't like him. (laughs) You are such a loser. And the kids at school. Look, it's abnormal. Always pick on him. (laughs) But he does have some friends. Norman, wait up. I like to be alone. So do I. Let's do it together. It's just that most of them Good morning. aren't exactly alive. How's it hanging? <laughs> Haven't heard that one before. Do you see ghosts like all the time? <gasps> Who's a good boy? Uh, that's not his chin. Couldn't you use another stall? Time is running out. From the makers of Coraline. The witch's ghost is going to wake up tonight. And when she does, she'll raise the dead. You've got to use your gift of talking to the dead to stop it. This is crazy. Do I look crazy to you? Give that a few minutes. Now, to save his town, he'll need a little help. Oh, yeah. I got you. Oh, this is getting completely out of Is he dead or what? And a whole lot of guts. Is everyone all right? Nobody got bitten? I bit. I hung. Did that count? This summer, you don't become a hero. Norman! Norman? This is so Norman. By being normal. There's nothing wrong with being scared, Norman. As long as you don't let it change who you are. Paranorman. And we are back. That, of course, was the trailer for Paranorman. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, I highly recommend it. We saw it in the theater in 2012, and uh, it was one of those things, because we're fans of Tim Burton and, and like this style of animation, you know, the stop motion, especially where you know you can get these strangely proportioned people and still make them look semi-realistic like um what's her name uh the one who played the sister i keep wanting to call her anna i keep wanting to call her anna ferris oh anna Anna kendrick anna kendrick um that character like she had like weird proportions and uh paranorman's friend's older brother who you know, you think he looks kind of weird because he has the tiny little legs, but other than that, he's proportioned exactly like Captain America. <laughs> um, I mean, kind of. He uh, maybe. No, no, he he is because he's basically shaped like a Dorito. 
yep. where he's got the really wide shoulders and then it like kind of triangles down to his skinny waist and his tiny little legs. Uh, a little bit like Mr. Incredible, where it's like you, you almost take these... I mean, Norman is normal-sized and normal-shaped. He's uh, Norman-sized. He's Norman, yes. Um, but like some of the other characters, especially when it lends itself to like the zombies and the and the uh, you know the weird the weird uh, the weird uncle played by John Goodman, like you can really lean into like people looking weird with this type of animation to accentuate who they are. But I I love that about animation and Pixar does it a lot with look at the Incredibles. Yeah, with with Helen Parr's uh, what do they refer to it in the meme the absolute dump truck ass, <laughs> which is really every mom in every Pixar film. You know, but what I love about that is the fact that you know they're not trying to give these characters a, a realistic look you know because it's it's fantastical it's it's not real it's a story right and you it, know it, and, and and you know these characters like like Coraline you know the characters in Coraline are very like long and especially skinny. the skinny um yes except for the the sisters well the sisters weren't evil well no they weren't evil but I'm just saying they were they were not skinny no, but they had like it's almost like they take uh the the um it's a caricature of characters like you know look at Corpse Bride the dad the uh, Corpse Bride <laughs> yeah. the uh the the dad um Victoria's dad Victoria's dad Victoria No, yes. Victor's dad. When he smiles, he has 46 teeth showing. And that's just what's showing, mm-hmm. like, so like you have this exag these exaggerated features, you know, like, you know, the mother is like this old governess, and she's got this very long drawn. But face. I I love that because it doesn't give unrealistic expectations, because it's not real at all in any way, shape, or no. form. Like you physically cannot look like that or i mean like you could but you know People not have. without some severe surgery and potential death but, but it's also but know, it also doesn't leave anything to the imagination as to who's the good guy who's the bad guy because the good guy is always the normal shaped guy i mean like look at uh one of our favorite films cloudy with a chance of meatballs you know you've got you know the long dangly arms of flint lockwood but that's because he's supposed to be that's awkward. because he's a shenaniganizer. That's because he's supposed to be awkward. Fool. But look at his dad. His dad has this gigantic torso, and his legs are about one tenth his body length. Mustache. And yeah, and he's got the the eyebrows that match his mustache, and his eyebrows cover up his eyes. Like you just see eyebrows and a nose. Like he doesn't even have like that normal face. What I love about these caricature characters, these unrealistic characters, is their ability to emote. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of their characteristics are based on you know what the character is feeling throughout the film. So you know, a lot of sad characters have big eyes, and you know, a lot of angry everyone characters. In Tim, <laughs> everyone yeah. Tim Burton plays. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I love the I love the character design of these characters because again, like it's just it, it, it's 
so ridiculous, but it lends itself to the story really well. Yeah, like you know, you see. Uh, it just it, it almost like you see these characters, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. Like you see the uh, the bully played by uh, McLovin there, Christopher Mintz Plass, and he he's built like a caveman. He's got like these big, thick arms and like this low, sloping brow, and you know, he definitely. Like you look at and him, he, and like, he, I mean, he's, he's a bully. Yeah, he's a bully, a, a more simple-minded, yeah, bully. So it, it lends itself really well. So, um, getting into Norman, yes. So who Norman is? Norman Babcock lives in Blythe Hollow, Massachusetts, which obviously is is a made-up town. It's and, a it's a stand-in for Salem, uh, pretty much. Yeah, because it's witches and stuff everywhere, and it's the site of witch trials and, and fun killings. fact. Blythe Hollow is a mashup of two ghost stories. So, Noel Coward's Blythe Spirit. And Sleepy Hollow. And Washington Irving's Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yes. So, I thought that was pretty fantastic. I mean, it works really well. I mean, that sounds like a Massachusetts town. Yeah. But, you know, in the way that it's, it's represented, obviously, it's this spooky town. It has a lot of history and folklore to it you mm-hmm. get that right away you know these the, the kids are pl- practicing a play and stuff but norman is just your typical average 11 year old boy who can talk to the dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we don't he sees dead people and we don't see that <laughs> up get, we see we're introduced to norman watching a zombie film with his grandmother right we don't and grandma realize that grandma has passed until She's like, oh, ask your father to turn the uh, thermostat up. And so when he says that, they're like, how many times do we have to tell you? Grandma is dead. She's gone. She's not coming back. And it's like, yeah. And everybody starts making fun of him. And then we see him go to school. And obviously he has that reputation as well. Like, this is his but story. He's sticking to it. we see him on the way to school. And w- I love how they do this. So you see it from other people's perspective first. Mm-hmm. And then you see it from Norman's perspective. So he's just sitting there and he's like, hey, hi, how are you? Oh, morning. hey, look out there. Good morning. And then it shows you Norman's perspective. And he's speaking to all of these spirits, all of these ghosts the around pe- town. The, the woman stuck in the, in the tree with her parachute. He's like, how's it hanging? <laughs> Haven't heard that one before. Then you see the, the mafia guy hopping around with his cement shoes and there's fish swimming around him in like his ectoplasm aura uh the cat that got run over by the car he's like come here little buddy oh come here and like people see him and he like kind of runs away because he understands at 11 how this looks to other people from the outside and he knows that no one is going to understand him and that's pretty much the basis of his character. He's an outcast. His parents don't understand him. His mom tries to understand him. And like that, that I'm a mother, you're my child, I love you, I don't really understand you, but because you're my child, I love you, and I'm going to try to be on your level and understand, and and understand what you're, where, where you're coming from. So, you know, I, I do like the mother character. She's very, she's very supportive, you know, regardless of the fact that she has no clue (laughs) she has no clue like she tries she really tries and i think that's something to you know there's something to be said about trying versus the father who just kind of writes him off he's like no that's not what you see one of the get a job 
he he's kind of you know one of the first ones to kind of make fun of him for it and obviously his older sister follows suit which oh yeah you know it's kind of the the typical older sister little brother dynamic just a, a little different because she you know according to her she she thinks that he thinks that he can see you know talk to dead people like that's my weird little brother he talks to invisible people like yeah. he's a weirdo you know um whereas we know as the audience we get that nice little glimpse into the real world of norman where he can actually speak to the various spirits that surround him and even when they're they're like you know she says to him the sister she's like prove it and she's like well he goes grandma said you shouldn't have shirtless pictures of the quarterback in your underwear drawer and she's like oh my god you're stalking me and you're doing this and it's like norman's 11 he's not going to go rifling through his Can teenage I just say, sisters i love how the grandmother is voiced by the late elaine stretch mm. like it's just it, it's such a fantastic voice and i believe this was her last film before she passed so it seems kind about of a right. little tidbit right there but um you know and and, and this continues at school he's not well liked at school he doesn't have any friends people make fun of him kids bully him you know his only friend is a tree his only friend is a tree <laughs> neil dressed as a tree yeah like he doesn't even have any friends this kid neil who is also an outcast in the sense that he's this chubby little weird kid who has no friends and decides he that all his all his shortcomings right you know decides that he and norman need to be friends because they're both weirdos right like uh, who else are we going to be friends with besides each other yeah. and he's like and listing obviously like and i have irritable bowel syndrome and i'm kind of <laughs> heavy and i can't eat dairy i'm lactose intolerant like he's just listing off all these things and like stuff that people make fun of him for and he's like, yeah, I'm at, like, I'm an easy target, and this is why. And like, he lists it all off, like it's a matter of fact. But he believes Norman. He even asks him. He's like, hey, could you come over to my house and help me talk to my dog? Like, you know, my dog got hit by a car, and I miss him. You know, I want to play with him. And he's like trying to teach him how to fetch. Yeah. <laughs> Teaching. He's trying to teach Norman. He's like, you just take the stick and you throw it. And he's like. No, you take a turn. He's like, I've already had like 50 turns. Like, you do it. I do love the scene where we hear Norman's cell phone go off and it's the Ugh. Halloween theme. It's the best scene. And it's and it's Neil saying that he's outside. And so Norman goes to look outside and then all of a sudden you see like there's a there's laundry hanging on a line and it kind of wafts in the wind a little bit and then you see this person in a hockey mask and like that that like music the, the, plays the high discordant <laughs> string and then Neil flips up his mask and he's like, "Hey, want to play hockey?" <laughs> uh, it, that killed us both in the in the theater because Norman at well, that point still does, still does. At that point, Norman is on edge because he finds out from his crazy uncle, who also has the ability to see the dead, that he's next in line in the family to uh, perform this specific ritual to keep the witch's curse at bay, and. This is happening around the time it's the uh, 300th anniversary mm -hmm. of the town 
killing this witch. Yeah, yeah. executing this witch. Executing's a a nicer word than killing this witch. And that's what they're celebrating. There's that's the play that he had to participate in, even though he didn't want to. Mm And yeah, so he has this crazy uncle that it's like the, the 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 crazy uncle that nobody talks about, but like deep down inside, you're like, yeah, that's that's my uncle. Like we have a thing, we have a bond, and he calls him Mr. Prendergast because he's that. That's just we don't know his first name. It's just Mr. Prendergast. Mins. Boy, probably that's that's highly likely. Voiced by John Goodman, who is just it's a fantastic little bit role for him. And Norman uh, doesn't want to take on this role, doesn't quite understand it. But Mr. Prendergast explains, like, you are the next in line for this. I thought it was Uncle Jack or something. Was it Uncle Jack? I think it was Uncle Jack. Maybe? I don't know. But he does call him Mr. Prendergast. He does. He does. (laughs) Because he... He doesn't really know him because they, you know, because we see this at the beginning, like, oh, we better not be talking about that, you know, talking to that crazy uncle of yours or crazy, you know, whatever, you know, keep him away from that because he also has the same gift, like it was passed on. Um, and yeah, they don't, they don't, he's not listed. They doesn't have his name listed, but I think it was like Uncle Jack or something. But regardless, um, Mr. Prendergast passes away and comes to Norman as, you know, a, a ghost. Up through the toilet. Up through the toilet at school. That's a fun scene. And tells him that he needs to find this book. It's now up to him to keep the witch at bay. So you have to read this book in order to satisfy the, like, like keep the curse away. And you don't know what the book is. You assume it's some sort of like Necronomicon esque right, yeah. thing. <laughs> and it turns out it's a fairy tale book. And it's yeah, like, this is it's, weird. This it's like a fairy tale book of bedtime stories. And you find out it's because the witch involved was a young girl. Well, she wasn't a witch at all. No, she could see the dead. She was a medium, just she, like Norman. And they're related. Well, it's. So. Because John Goodman has the same, the, her name is Prendergast. Pren- Aggie Prendergast. Prendergast. And yes. Norman so it's, is it's related. Alluded that, yeah, so it's, and obviously they have the same abilities, but we're kind of getting a little ahead of us. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to perform this ritual of reading this witch, this, you know, cursed story. witch, this bedtime story to keep the curse at bay. Because he's supposed to gets, read it at her grave. Right, at a specific time. Sunset. And he gets interrupted by his bully who followed him into the woods because, you know, that's he what bullies crashed, do. He crashed into him. He was doing, he was at his breakdancing troupe and uh, Norman crashed into him on his bike and knocked him down in front of some girls who might think of considering deciding to maybe uh, talk to him. And now throughout all of this, Norman has been getting these... Well, you can't, like, visions? Premonitions. Premonitions of these zombies, these townspeople. And these horrible things happening. Right. Like, the ground turning black and, like, people's, like, faces melting off to reveal, like, zombies underneath. And we, we know at this point that 
Norman's kind of a zombie-file. Like, he, when we first are introduced to Norman, he's watching this very fantastic zombie film. Mm-hmm. It apparently took a long time for them to, to film that one part, but it's great like i love that I, I love the versions of the zombies and the zombie film with like the brain showing and like they're trying to eat the girl's brains and she's just sitting there screaming and she's like ah! and the zombie's slowly walking and then she's like ah! <laughs> and then they zoom back on her and like the boom mic falls down and she kind of like bats it away so it's like he's definitely watching it's a, a low budget right zombie like movie. it's a it's a parody of some of these indie films that aren't so great but are great mm-hmm. and uh, i mean as somebody who loves those types of films it's you know very much appreciated so you know we're trying to sit there and figure out like why he's having these visions Mm -hmm. and come to find out these visions these zombies come back to life you know reanimated corpses ghouls uh, ghouls come back to life and are pretty much like terrifying the town unintentionally unintentionally because they are trying to help combat the curse right because they're trying to atone for what they did because they are the ones they are the ones who sent this poor little girl and norman's all like how come how come you how could you do this and then the 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 judge, who was played by Bernard Hill, was like, "Where was Gondor when the witch was cursing us?" Because that's Theoden from. Mm-hmm. Where was Gondor when the witch was cursing us? Then. Um, but but yes, so Norman has this dream where the little girl, like the witch, but she comes to him in little girl form. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this dream, he learns that her name is Agatha. They call her Aggie Prendergast. And she was a little girl around his age. And yeah, she just happened like to have the same abilities that he has. And she was wrongfully accused of being a witch. And ultimately sentenced to death. And that's what this curse is. This curse is her seeking revenge. And, you know, Norman kind of, you know, in a nutshell says, what you're doing terrorizing this town is really no better than what they did to you. Yeah, you fighting violence with violence isn't going to help anything. It, like, what happened to you was terrible, but this isn't going to change that. Which is really... Um, mature of norman at 11 years old and i I probably uh because she kept trying to kill him and he kept like coming forward and like you know he wouldn't let her like but but he wasn't hiding from her either he was like hey you know let me help you let me reach out to you like i'm like you i'm also an outcast people for the same reason right people don't understand me Mm -hmm. and you know, they were able to bond over that. And that's ultimately why she, you know, was decided to present herself as, as a child, you know, in her child form. Because that's how old she this, was when they killed her. Right. Instead of yeah. this menacing... Uh, Sky demon. Yes. Because that's how she presented, like, you know, this scary witch face. up, in, And even the statue where she was buried was an adult witch. Uh, and... The whole point of reading the book, reading the bedtime stories, 
every year on the anniversary of her death was to kind of put her to sleep for another year and mm-hmm. then she would wake up again every year but like obviously you know in these types of films you know the hero's journey type films uh the hero has to figure that out on his own because his wise old mentor figure passes away before he can tell him all about his powers you know so this plot line is the same as the plot line for say star wars or harry potter you know it's the the hero's journey uh, I think we talked about this a, a couple other times. I forget on which shows, but this is that classic journey where you know this weird outcast kid, people don't understand him, has these abilities, and is able to you know kind of save the day. He's defeated by his bullies, and he loses at the beginning with you know the zombies coming back because he's unable to perform the ritual in the correct place because he did it at the graves of those who condemned her right instead of her actual grave because they didn't know where she was buried it was lost they had to go through all of those uh all the the different the the, pile of records and you know he even says you know with the the group that he had he goes if i knew i had to read i would have picked a whole other crew to go on this adventure (laughs) with <laughs> but one of the things I really enjoy about this character is the fact that when confronting, I don't want to say the bad guy, but the antagonist. Right. When when confronting the antagonist, you know, he really holds his ground and tells her that he understands how she feels, you know, as an outcast and that her vengeance has only made her like the ones who wronged her. And eventually, he forces her to remember happier days. So Aggie, finally, you know, having finally encountered someone who understands her and understands her plight, and she remembers her mother, well, and that's when she was like, "They called me Aggie." It was. It was instead of someone just trying to put her back to sleep, it was someone like he was trying to help her find peace. Her. Yes, you know, and then once she was able. To, to be at peace with what happened and find inner peace with herself and cross over to the afterlife. Rest. That's what he kept she, telling she, her. Yes. She's like, I don't want to go to sleep. You know, it, it's... Mr. Prendergast had the right idea with let's read her a bedtime story to put her to sleep. Which is what they'd been doing every year right. for 300 but, years. In in the the bigger picture, she needed peace so she mm-hmm. could fully be at rest. Because they had, she even said when she had the vision with her mom, she's like, my mom used to read to me, and so like that's where it started. Her mother would come to her grave on the anniversary mm-hmm. and read to her, you know. So I'm assuming at some point someone didn't do that, and that led to you know crazy shit happening. But it was the 1600s, so. Nobody really could articulate it quite correctly. Right. And, you know, and what I what I love is that the the zombie versions of these people who condemned her, who wronged her, apologized and said that, you know, what we did was was wrong and we want to pretty much like atone for our sins almost. Yeah, like you know, and then to... they took full responsibility for their actions, which you know, it's it's really heavy for a kids' film. Yeah, but because at the same they time, it's really either. well, exactly. And hence, they came back as the living dead. 
you know, they, 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 they couldn't rest knowing that they had caused all of this. Because she did have powers because she did curse them. Like, and we see that, you know, she's like, I'm going to curse all of you. You're all cursed. And like, because she freaked out only because they cornered her and like the power manifested in her. I don't think that it would have happened had she not been cornered and threatened the way she was. And one of the things I love about Norman's character is the fact that he doesn't let the fact that he's pretty much the town's hero at this point go to his head. People do start accepting him, primarily his father, who goes to sit on the couch and says, uh, hey, is, is, she, is she here? Is grandma here? Is grandma here? And Norman's like, yeah, you know, she's right she, next to is you. Is she on the couch? Yeah. Yeah. And then he turns to her and just says, hi, hi Ma. <laughs> and then they both turn to him and in unison, they look at the uh, the TV because the sister comes in and sits down. The mom comes in and sits on the on the chair and uh, his dad and his grandma at the same time go. So what's happening now? Like talking about the zombie movie yep. because it's and it mirrors exactly what had happened at the beginning Right. And I think that's fantastic. It's, you know, uh, a film about belonging. And that's what this character is about. Norman, it's, it's about, you know, trying to find your tribe and trying to, you know, just feel accepted. And who can't relate to that? You know, watching this film, I, I was just like, oh, my God, that, that, that's me. As a kid, being the mm -hmm. weird kid, you know, and interested in all I of this. I am the weirdo mister. You know, <laughs> interested in all of this weird stuff. And I think a lot of... You know, a lot of people, a lot of misfits can, you know, feel the same. Yeah, we can commiserate with, with Norman and know where he's and coming from. one of the things, just kind of like a, a fun fact I found while doing some research. So this idea came from Chris Butler, who was the writer and director of the film, who realizing that zombie films often contained a degree of social commentary oh, thought yeah. making such a movie for kids could help express the challenges kids face growing up i think that and i did it well. thought it was a really you know a lot of films do that but i think this film and and the character of norman does a really good job with that because I know some really weird little kids who kind of, you know, remind me of Norman. Yeah. I mean, I am one of them. So, well. I mean, I'm not so little and not so kid, but I mean, unless you count like the way I act. Yeah, but I'm just a big kid. <laughs> but I, I love this character. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed um, the film. You know, he's, he's an 11-year-old to, to aspire to be. And I this film has such a rewatch, you know, a high rewatch value for me. Which is why um, it's so weird that we haven't watched it in eight years. Because <laughs> of all of the little, the little things, you know, Norman is a horror fan. And there's all of these little nods, you know, so some of the posters in his room are nods to different zombie films and mm -hmm. horror films, you know, like we mentioned his cell phone ringtone, the the hockey mask, the, um, uh, some of the witch stuff in, you know, that's mm -hmm. involved and in the, the history and the folklore. The fact that he you. lives in 
you know, generic Salem. Right. Great value Salem. Great value Salem, yes. So anyways, if you haven't seen this film, do yourself a favor and check it out. It's not streaming anywhere right now, unfortunately, but it is a great film. Yeah, so. we picked it up right when it came out. Yeah, it's, really it's definitely it. worth a watch, especially during spooky season. But, mm. you know, year round, it's a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, he's definitely a little kid with a lot of heart and a lot of horror. Yeah. So if you have seen it, let us know what you think. And uh, I mean, it is available to rent on pretty much every streaming service for oh, well, two ninety nine. Cool. Okay. Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, Vudu, uh, and it's for sale for between eight and ten dollars on all those. Yeah, it's, it's so you can get it's, the digital copy. It's definitely worth it, and it's really oh, yeah. nice, like at the end, to see his family. Not only acknowledge his this ability that he has, because let's face it, a lot you know there are people out there who do have this ability, you know, mediums mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, but to not only like accept it, but facilitate it. Yeah. You know, like the dad asking, "Hey, is 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 grandma here?" I like, mean, it also helps it- that they literally got beaten over the head with the proof that this stuff was all real. Well, I mean, there's that too, but <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's just you can see the look on Norman's face at the end, where he's just really happy, like, like he's, he's sitting there, he's watching his really just obscure bad zombie film that he loves so much. Which mm-hmm. I mean, hello, we all love them, um, and his family sits down to watch it with him yeah and you know like as a as a kid who who was really interested in horror who liked a lot of things that my parents didn't like you know that scene really just kind of resonates because i would have loved for something like that to happen yeah so i think this is a good place to uh take a quick break and when we come back we'll wrap things up we have battle battle results results. and i will give you a preview of what's coming down the pipeline it's spooky season and we'll be right back hey there this is jb and if you enjoy tales from the crypt then check out my show tales from the podcast where myself and usually a very special guest sit down to discuss the tv show the films the animated series as well as the original comics so check me out every other week on itunes stitcher spotify google play and of course at talesfromthepodcast.com thanks for listening kiddies you're all a scream Uh, I don't want to impose, and it's perfectly fine if you don't want to, but if you would mind doing a promo for us. Fuck no. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hi, I'm Adam Green, the director of The Hatchet Films and the star of Holliston, and you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And we are back. That, of course, was uh, some more stuff from Paranorman. Uh, I, you know, I, I really enjoy the film. I know you did too, and uh, it's it's got a lot of appeal for a lot of different audiences. You know, kids to adults. You know, kind of what we were talking about earlier. So, uh, I I highly recommend this one. This is a good 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 one for spooky season and a good one for uh, you know just in general. I love how dark some of these animated films can be. I know they're geared towards kids. But they also have a lot of stuff there for for adults. 
Well, I mean, it's you know, it's no, kind of like when you're watching an animated show or, or like a cartoon or, or movie or whatever for kids, but then you rewatch it as an adult and you're like, how did my parents let me watch this? Well, because you're too young to get some of the jokes. Right. It kind of goes right over your head. And a lot there's a lot of fan service in Paranorman, especially with Norman uh, in particular, um, towards fans of horror. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you are a horror fan, odds are you can see a piece of yourself in Norman. Because let's face it, a lot of times our our roots, like the origin of our, our horror fascination, you know, the roots of our, our horror, you know, uh, love, for lack of a better word, uh goes back decades. You know, what happens, it's, a, it's an infatuation that happens when you're young. Watching something you're not supposed to be watching. Or if you have parents that are cool enough, parents that introduce you to it. Because we've we've heard from our friends both sides. You know, I have my story where my parents were very conservative and didn't want me watching all of that stuff, which made me want to watch it even more. Right. But what yet we have friends whose parents encouraged it. Well, Said, like hey, you parents. know what? You're you're old enough to see this film. So I'm going to introduce you to this. And if you like it, great. Great. I'll show you more. And if not, you know, we'll go another route. But And my parents know. kinda took the middle ground where it's like, Oh, you really like thriller, let's get the making of so you can kinda see what goes on behind the scenes so you're not so scared of it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, shout out to the parents who are cool enough to let their kids kind of explore their different uh interests, we'll say. And, and, you know, kind of facilitate that versus, you know, saying, hey, you can't... Because my parents weren't into horror. They weren't into the macabre. They weren't into a lot of the stuff. And, you know, my mom has a hard time relating to me sometimes because she just doesn't get it. Like, she... Like, she's, she's happy for me when I'm happy. She's kind of like the mom in Paranorman. Like, you know, she, she's happy because I'm her kid and I'm happy. So she's happy when I'm happy. But she doesn't quite get it. And that's, you know, and that's fine. You know, it's a generational thing. You know, it was more taboo in your mom's day in the 50s, even though that's the and, era of, like, some of the greatest horror movies, like the schlocky sci-fi stuff. Mm. You know, and then... The you know, Blob. And then, in you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You the know. original Invasion yeah. of the Body Snatchers, and then yeah. it kind of and morphed a lot, into... Yeah, you know, you, you know, have a lot of Alfred Hitchcock that came out during that time. Then that bled into uh, Romero in 68. And the... Um, Godzilla films. Not Godzilla. Um. Oh my God. That that show that you like. Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone. Why did I forget the name of that? Yeah. Like it. There was a. There's always been a fascination with horror, you know, and it's always been kind of underground, and people have always been trying to, you know, sort of push the but limits. I was gonna say what I love though is each generation tries to push the envelope just a little bit more when it comes to horror. So I know a lot of recent horror, you know, horror that's been out within the last five years or so, mainstream horror has been kind of a letdown, but independent horror has been killing it. Uh, I, I will be appearing on an upcoming episode of, uh, 
of uh, Anthony T's horror show uh, discussing my book, and we we discuss a little bit at the beginning about uh, newer horror and some of the things that we like and we don't like about some of the independent horror people. But uh, you know that's that's coming down the pike in uh, in in the near future. So. Um, we do have uh, something special to talk about. Well, we have battle results yeah. from last week. That's, That's pretty freaking special. Yeah. So last week we threw down the battle called The Doctor Will See You Now. We wanted to know whose less than savory bedside manner is the most terrifying. You know, I did think of something after you, after we talked about that and named it. They're all nurses. None of them are doctors. Well, because a lot of times the nurse will say, the doctor will see you now. Yes. That's what I was going with when I named it. It's like, oh, the doctor will see you now. No, no, I get that's it. A, but that's it's a like tip, you know. all the. I also thought of calling from. it like, you know, the Animaniacs thing. Like, hello, nurse. That was literally her name. What, hello? Hello, nurse. That was her, that was her name. Like, they, they, they mentioned it in one of the songs. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, that's why they always said it. Like, that was literally her you name. You know, those would be some great characters to cover Especially at some point. with the revival coming up. Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. And Dot. The Warner Brothers I'm and sister. Yakko. I'm Wacko, and I'm cute. They The redesign of those characters looks, they're slightly updated, and they change just a little bit. Uh, just enough so that you can tell that somebody else is drawing them. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I could get behind that. Uh, it hasn't aired yet, I don't though, think so. to my knowledge. It's something that's still kind of in the works. But I forget is who's putting it out. Definitely a thing that's happening. I don't remember what like what streaming service. Like, There's 900 of them with 10 more I remember coming every my day. sister had the Animaniacs soundtrack. I love that. The, the countries of the world. Maybe that's what we'll end the show with. <laughs> We'll preface it with countries that Americans are banned from going to. <laughs> oh, God help us all. Um, so anyways, like I said, the battle was called The Doctor Will See You Now. We wanted to know whose less than savory bedside manner is the most terrifying. And you could choose from Nurse Ratched. Both from Ratchet and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Nurse Diesel from High Anxiety. Annie Wilkes from Misery. Or Nurse Bridget and Nurse Miranda from American Horror Story, Roanoke. And both are... I'm just kind of combining our Facebook and Twitter. So sometimes if they're super close, I will... Um, separate the two but it's pretty uh it's pretty you know close but there's a clear winner there's a clear winner nurse ratchet i kind of expected i figure close close would be uh annie. annie annie wilkes and actually annie wilkes was my vote because i mean i don't believe two babies are in knowledge, uh, nurse ratchet never hobbled anyone 
No, and in the in the book, it's slightly different. She cuts his foot off with an axe. I was gonna say in the book, I I read the book when I was. <gasps> I think in middle school, I may have been around the I was in my sixth early 20s. grade middle school mark. I, I honestly think I was in sixth grade going into middle school. I think that's the summer that I um, became really infatuated with Stephen King and read, I read Misery, I read The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, I started reading it until my dad found the book so I would like kind of like slide the book that I was reading under my bed because I would read before bed so it was just easier to be like hey book meet under my bed mm-hmm. and he I don't remember if he saw me reading it or if he found the book under my bed. Not that he had gone through my stuff or anything, but, you know, just it like... It was out in the open where you could reach Right. It. Like, you know, like, hey, I'm putting... You put it spine I'm out putting Ashley's laundry out. into, you know, clean, clean clothes into her room. And I just happened to look over and there's it staring at me from under her bed. There and it he, is. And he forbade me, forbode me... Forbade. Forbid. Forbid. Forbid um, from reading that. He actually took that. That was the only book that he took away from me. And he was like, you cannot read this yet. I had one book taken away from me when I was and, 16. But, but like, but I mean, all things said and done. So I haven't actually finished reading it. But from what I know of the novel. He was right to do it. He was right. At the, especially at that age. He was, I mean, was pretty warned. <laughs> when I was 16, my dad took Helter Skelter from me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, that's. Um, Although I yeah. do. I used to read a lot. And my, I was telling my dad about the plot of, uh, you know, one of the, um, the Hannibal books by Jonathan Harris. And. You know, I don't think my dad liked my my uh, my obsession because they were really well written and I really enjoyed them. And he's like, I don't like him. I don't like you calling him Hannibal like he's your buddy. I'm like, all right, well, why don't I just call him what they call him in the in the books? He's like, what's that? I'm like, well, everyone refers to him as Dr. Lecter. Would that be better? <laughs> but don't be a smart ass. I, I remember. um I was really interested in the Goops, Goosebumps books. Goops. Goops. Goops the Goosebumps. Bump. The Goosebumps books. And, you know, I had grown up watching the animated series Tales from the Crypt Keeper and, you know, graduated to the series, you know, the Tales from Tales Crypt. from the Crypt, which I think was on HBO. Yes. Or Showtime. Uh, we didn't have, yeah, we didn't have the extended cable, but I had friends who did. So when I would sleep over their house, um, we would watch it on the weekends. And I think everyone from our generation kind of remembers Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. And I know that it had a revival not too long ago. Have not Our niece seen... is watching that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is she? Oh, we may have to have conversations. Um, yeah, I haven't seen the revival, but I do remember some of the episodes uh, from Snick, Saturday Night Nick, and... I had moved on to reading, so R.L. Stein, 
who's obviously the author of the Goosebumps books, but then he also had his like twisted teen books. The uh, Fear Street. That, yes, Fear Street. That's I what it was I actually talked called. about this on Shark Bites with uh, Annie Sullivan. Did you really? Because we were talking about the difference between PG, like a uh, young adult, and like some of the the more you know grown up stuff. And I said the only difference it's kind of like Goosebumps and Fear Street. Yeah, Goosebumps is like baby horror. You know, stuff that's kind of scary, but you know you can handle at a young age. And I was reading our, the, the Fear Street series by R.L. Stein, and, you know, that was definitely a few steps up, but it just wasn't doing it for me. So finally, I asked my parents, I said, you know, like, I'm like, would you be okay? Like, is it all right with you guys if I started reading Stephen King? Because, I mean, granted, by that age, like, I, I had been I reading, 12. you know, um, I had been reading my mom's Danielle Steele books, which I know those are two completely different. But they're still aimed at the same but, target but, but, audience. Yeah, well, but what adults. I'm saying, though, is, right, like, it's it's the same reading level for mm-hmm. the most part. So it's like, well, I can read these. Danielle Steele presents The Heaving Bosom. And Well, I mean, but here's the <laughs> thing, though. Some of her books are actually pretty freaking good. Oh, no, and... Like, I think it's called, like, Message from Nam. It was all about that era in in the, around the JFK years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, she talks about the this character, and I remember this vividly, um, the assassin, assassination of JFK. And she goes into to a lot of detail in that one. And I think that kind of facilitates, like, okay, I want to know more about this, not so much about the love story, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a similar reading level. So it's yeah, like, you it's, know, if I can read this and I can handle this, and a lot of it is, you know, Danielle Steele does do, I mean, she actually creates some really great characters and does um, some pretty fantastic, like, story arcs, character arcs. And um, she's also been through a lot, too, but but I, I digress. But yeah, it's the so, same reading level as Stephen King. So it's like, if I can read this at this age, yeah. I can handle this. Right. I was and unfortunately, Cosmos. like, I haven't really revisited Stephen King much. I read and it I feel when like I was I 12. I've read a lot of his stuff. I love the Dark Tower stuff, and it kind of has informed uh, my writing style a little bit. So... Uh, the imagery, yeah, the the creating of the space and the imagery, I, I can definitely see a, a a slight parallel. I don't to. use all the same words he uses. Like you know, one word, one thing is from the beginning of the Dark Tower. You know, the desert, desert, the desert was the apotheosis of all deserts. Like that's great imagery. You know, talking like just describing the unending sea of sand. Um. That was, and the the pursuit, you know, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed, like, one of the better opening lines in, in literary history. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're digressing but way too much. But speaking of literary history, who are we talking about next week? Who are we talking about next week? I don't... Someone who has appeared in both novel and film form... Oh, me. A character, <laughs> a character who is near and dear to your heart, and if he had the chance, he would probably consume your heart. 
No, I think I would be uh, I would be respectful to him, and, and he wouldn't he wouldn't do that. Plus, I'm all like fatty. There's there's not, although that's you know I don't know. I'd be like bacon. Um, <laughs> You'd be bacon. <laughs> um, oh, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's we're we're gonna be discussing Hannibal Lecter and. Uh, we are primarily going to be talking about the book version and Sir Anthony Hopkins' portrayal. So we are not going to be talking about Mads Mikkelsen's I, I probably will throw some of that in because of the how close it is to the books. Yes. Just for a couple of... Couple of yes, but I would like to save that for, I mean, because that could easily be like a six-hour episode because there's so much on this character and so much that we could divulge and unfold. And well, it's, really it's, it's like if we were to if we were to try and talk about Batman, like there's too much right, material. Right, there's too many different storylines. So we will, we'll, we'll, we'll focus mainly on... You know the movies, the cinematic experiences, and then we'll—I'll touch a little bit on and how Sir Anthony books. Hopkins freaks me out, regardless of his role, because all I think about is Hannibal Lecter. He's—he's <laughs> he's scary in a lot of stuff, but yeah, I, I mean, we'll delve more into the books at he a later time. He talks like this, and I'm like, Ugh. "You're so ambitious, aren't you? You know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes." You look like a rube, a well-scrubbed, hustling rube with a little taste. Good nutrition's giving you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor white trash. Save it for next Oh, I have lots. I'm sure you do. This is one of your favorite characters. It is. One of your favorite characters of all time, so Mm. not just one of your favorite villains. No, not even... Or or uh, I should say favorite antagonists. I mean, it depends on what... We'll get into it next week. Right, there's a lot there, but we are going to be one of the best created characters of all time. We are going to be discussing Hannibal Lecter from the cinematic universe. Yeah, and I'll I'll throw in a couple of like tidbits from the book, like oh, this is where this is different, and this is where this slightly changed. But there's some. And then eventually, because you and I both love Hannibal, Mads Mikkelsen. I went through the series first and on, then you told me you're yeah, like you need to watch this and then you and i went through Wiley it together told me. and i was bl- i mean first of all i really enjoy watching mads mickelson per- i actually just saw her, uh, his performance in general regardless of what he's doing well, I, s- I i saw a meme earlier today yes with uh from the mcu and it was uh the, on the top it was uh Bumble Scrum Cabbage Patch and and, and uh, Robert Downey Jr. and it was like oh you know oh, I thought it was so great when I saw that the MCU had two uh, Sherlock Holmes and then underneath was Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mikkelsen as Odin and uh, mm-hmm. uh, he was the bad guy from Doctor Strange. Oh, what the fuck is his name? I forget his name though. Caecilius. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it was like, but then I was I was scared because it also had two Hannibal Lecters. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. But anyways, we'll, yeah. So we'll so, so, so we'll talk week. a little. Yeah, primarily Some differences, and then we'll bring up the books again when we get to the TV show. Right, which will be at a later of... date because you and I will have to revisit this because God knows I will love any opportunity. Yeah, we to just simply will show. not have time to do it in a week. Right, right. So. Cinematic Universe, Hannibal Lecter, Sir Anthony Hopkins. We're only, yeah, we're not, we we're not gonna watch uh, Manhunter again. I I tried it recently. I'm not doing it again, uh, and we're not gonna watch uh, Hannibal Rising because that book was garbage. That movie was not very good. It did give some good insight, but whatever. No, but we will talk about Red Dragon. We'll do Red Dragon, obviously, Silence, Silence of the, the Lambs, Lambs, and Hannibal. Correct. In that order. Now, is Hannibal the one that has Ed Ray Norton. Liotta? Oh, no, yeah. Ed, Ed Norton is the first one. Yes, Ray That's Liotta. Richard. Not um, the other guy. Rob Lowe? Rob Lowe! <laughs> Ray Liotta, Rob Lowe. They're the they're same guy. Rob Liotta? Same Rob Liotta. All right, so... That's what we're doing next week. So if you have any thoughts on that, please let us know. We're always very interested. Throw down Thursday podcast at gmail.com. Or hit us up on our social medias. TD Thursday TD Thursday Pod and Throw Down Thursday Podcast on uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter and Instagram, respectively. And I do hope that you are having a very happy Ashtober, regardless of the circumstances. And until next week, we, we will, will see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. Looking over his shoulder at 